As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So I was processing all this stuff. And what happened to me is I got alopecia, which is a sudden hair loss, alopecia areata. And I started to get patches on my head and on my body. And the doctors put me on prednisone, which is a catabolic steroid. It makes you kind of bloated and fat. It's the opposite of what bodybuilders take. Bodybuilders take anabolic steroids, right? And then they were giving me cortisone shots in my eyebrows and in my head, which was really painful. And I was working at Gold's Gym in Venice. And I was also, I had a side business as a trainer in Gold's Gym, Venice. So I'm getting like, I'm a, this bloated trainer, which is horrible. And I'm getting these shots, like every couple of weeks, I'm getting these shots in my eyebrows and my head, which were really painful. And I started to eat Vicodin when I go get the shot, which is a painkiller. And then I started to eat the Vicodin all the time because I didn't have the emotional tools to deal with what was happening to me. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head for thousands of years. This ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. My7chakras.com, the place where we help you Calm your mind, relax your nervous system and experience deep states of bliss. In today's episode, we do a deep dive into breath work, conscious, connected breath with our guest, John Paul Creamy. Uh, we're going to talk about his origin story, how he got into breath work. We talk about different types of breath work, what breath work does for you, the science behind it. And who is Breathwork ideally for? We're going to explore all these different questions and themes that I have had on my mind for a long time. So if you are interested, make sure that you hit the subscribe button, hit the follow button or the plus button just to ensure that you do not miss out on our future episodes. And with that being said, let's introduce our special guest for today, John Paul Creamy. Originally from Boston, in his early 20s, John Paul Creamy moved to LA and quickly became one of the most sought-after celebrity trainers and sober coaches in the country. Unexpectedly, he found himself 
in a breathwork class and had a massive transformation that first time. Knowing he had to share this technique, he not only began teaching breathwork, but developed his own unique style and quickly began selling out breathwork classes all over Los Angeles. John Paul currently resides in Bend, Oregon with his wife and two children, but returns monthly to Los Angeles to teach his sold-out breathwork classes and workshops, as well as lead his in-demand breathwork teacher trainings. John Paul, is there anything else that you'd like to add? It's wonderful uh, to have you on the show, by the way. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you, I think you did a great job. I don't return monthly to Los Angeles anymore. I go every couple months. And and the teacher trainings are kind of all over the country now. So, um, you know, I just did one in Denver and I'm doing one here in Bend. And so, yeah, but that, I think you nailed it. I think you got it pretty good. The gist of it. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. It's an honor to connect with you. I've been wanting to have this uh, chat for a long time now. Uh, and like with all of our guests, I like to learn about how it began. Uh, so where were you born and brought up? And what yep. was your childhood like? <laughs> I was born in Boston, Massachusetts, in a little town called Pembroke. And it's on the south shore of Boston. It's about 25 minutes outside of the city. And it's the fifth most Irish town in America. And it's surrounded by the 13 most Irish towns in America. And that's significant because, uh, you know, there's a lot of drinking. There's a lot of fighting. There's, I mean, those are stereotypes. But for me, they were pretty accurate growing up. Um, and it was, a, it, was, it was a wild childhood. It was a suburban area. It's like, a, you know, a cute little suburban town with houses and lawns. But it was a lot of people that moved there from South Boston, which is kind of the, you know, the white Irish slum of Boston. Um, and so you had like a city mentality and a city toughness in the suburbs. You know, you get your bike stolen pretty easy and you get your, you know, you get in a fight pretty easy. It was a weird, it was a weird upbringing, but it was in suburbs. So I just thought everyone, you know, had 17 brothers and sisters and red hair and, yes, you yes, know, yes. got drunk and beat each other up. And that's kind of how I grew up. And my joke is I'm, I'm Irish, Italian and Scottish, which means I like to drink a lot. I don't want to pay for it. And then I want to start a fight. Um, <laughs> and I'm also Boston, which means those things as well. But you know, I've, I've let go of that story. I don't, I don't drink anymore. I'm coming up on 23 years of sobriety. And, um, that was a game changer for me. But I grew up pretty wild, pretty out of control. And, uh, I had some some challenging things happened to me young. I lost a lot of close friends when I was young and I didn't really have the tools to process that grief. And then I had some physical trauma. I got jumped and beat up by five different guys um, who beat me unconscious. And then um, and another time I was stabbed in the head and um, almost died from that. I lost like half the blood in my body and so I had a lot of trauma and things that happened to me along the way that I never really dealt with. I kind of just stuffed it down and didn't process because I didn't have the tools to process it. And nobody showed me, you know, you, listen, listen, you have all this stuff, you have all this trauma. So I just went about my life um, feeling unsafe in the world. And I didn't know I felt unsafe in the world. I think it's, it's, it's either Freud or Jung that says, the most important decision you'll ever make is whether you live in a um, hostile universe or a friendly universe. And um, I lived in a hostile universe. And 
it wasn't till I found breathwork that that shifted for me and I was able to shift that perspective. So I know it's possible to change that perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I've been to uh, Boston a couple of times in my life because earlier on I was working at uh, Bose Corporation, you know, the audio brand. And so sure. I visited Boston, I visited Framingham, I visited some other cities around that. And I really loved uh, loved that place. Obviously, didn't spend enough time <laughs> to get to know the, the city. Mm -hmm. But uh, thanks a lot for sharing uh, your your childhood and some of the experiences that, you know, had an impact on your life. And we're going to talk about trauma as well later on in our episode and, you know, how that influences childhood and things like that. But what sort of influence did your uh, parents have on you growing up? Well, you know, my father's an artist. And mm. so um, he's a painter and a sculptor and a printmaker. And that was kind of unusual in my neighborhood. I grew up in kind of a middle class neighborhood where, you know, everyone's father was either a plumber or an electrician or an architect or yeah. something to that nature. And my father was an artist. So people... And he had like sculptures in the yard and we okay. had stained glass windows in the house. And so our house really stood out and people thought we were weird. Mm -hmm. So I felt different, you know, and I, I, think, I think people treated me different. And uh, it's challenging to grow up that way in a town. Boston's very conservative. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's not a place where uh, difference is celebrated. Right. It's... It's the other way, right? So like if you dress different, if you look different, if you sound different, you're kind of bullied and um, yeah, it just, it, it wasn't great. Um, and I, and I felt different because of that. And I, and you know, most of the kids around me, it's a very big sports town. So uh -huh. I, uh, I, I did some sports. I did a lot of martial arts, um, but people were really into like baseball and football and basketball. And I was more into like martial arts and music and movies. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that set me apart too, but my, my, my father's an artist and you know, he wanted me to be an artist. And so that was a strange upbringing. And then my mother is a, a housewife, she, you mm -hmm. know, she took care of the kids and she cooked and she cleaned and she made this amazing Italian food and took good care of us. And so I had two, you know, loving parents and they did the best that they could with what the, with skills they had, um, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so now you have, you know, your dad is an artist and you have uh, all these different artworks at your home, maybe in the front porch as well. And all yeah. your neighbors are maybe judging you or especially because that area was more conservative where it was uh, not okay to sort of stand out and do your own thing and, and be different. In that environment, what did young John Paul want to become when he grew old. Do you have like any career aspirations back then that I want sure, to do this, yeah. I want to do that? I'm sure it's not a breath worker, right? Or a breath work instructor. No, what was I it? didn't what even was... know breath work existed. Breath work didn't exist where yeah, I yeah. came from. Right, right. So, right. Uh, I, you know, that's not, that. Does, and we'll get to that too, I'm sure. You know, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, I was really into music, and but I didn't pursue it. I played guitar a little bit. And I was really into acting. So I, I studied acting. I, I was belonged to a theater group and I did some plays when I was a kid. Um, so I was I found that movies were a great escape for me. My first escape was books. And I would go to the library and I would read every book I could. And I would sit there all day at the library reading. I, I was isolated a lot as a child. I had, you know, I didn't develop friends till I was a teenager. 
So when I was young, I had an older brother and an older sister, but they were much older than me. And a younger sister okay. was much younger. So it was kind of like being an only child with siblings, which is weird. <laughs> um, so reading was my first love. Reading was my first escape. And I would go to the library and read all day and then take a bunch of books home with me. So I love reading. And then I really fell in love with movies. And, um, you know, movies are a great escape. And mm. so I wanted to be an actor from a young age. And, right. um, and so eventually I did um, move to Los Angeles and pursue acting. You know, that was my dream. So, mm. you know, I don't know if we want to jump ahead to Los Angeles yet or if you want to stay in Boston and go deeper on that. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you share that. A lot of interesting themes coming up because as I look back in my childhood, I remember I also was... Uh, you know, that uh, a little strange kid uh, that loved being on his own, doing a lot of drawings. I used to draw a lot of uh, cartoons, uh, you know, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man. And I used to daydream a lot, you know, out of the blue. I was very connected with my intuitive self in a way. And it's interesting that you mentioned that you had, uh, you loved movies and you want to pursue a career as an actor. And I feel even in the realm of breath work, a lot of people are trying to shift their identities, right? Or change uh, their personalities in a way, letting go of what is no longer serving them and adopting mm -hmm. new mindsets and thought process. And would you say that acting or the skills involved in acting, you know, are useful? Because I've read about, you know, all these actors that go through the process of method acting and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes in movies, they forget who they were and they've become who their personas are. Sure. It's a lot there. So I studied method acting when I moved to Los Angeles. Okay. I studied, yeah, I studied method acting for three nice. years. That's actually, um, I think, the reason my hair fell out. So okay. we, can, we can dive into that too. Um, yeah. Because I was trying to process some trauma that happened to me, you know, on a stage. And that's wow. not the right place to process the traumas on a stage in front of, you know, a room full of 20 people. Um, in a method acting program. And, and so what it did is it stressed me out so much that my hair started to fall out in patches. I have alopecia. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then eventually all my hair went and that, you know, that's a big part of my story. But so to, to go back to your original question, which is, you know, does it, it and you said something too, which everyone in breathwork says when they start out, which is uh, to let go of what no longer serves you. It's yeah. like kind of the breathwork cliche. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I actually did the one meme I've ever made in my life was Samuel Jackson, you know, from Pulp Fiction where he's holding <laughs> the gun and he says, say, say, let go of what no longer serves you one more time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, cause it's just like, everyone says yeah. that in breathwork and you know, my, my personal feeling on breathwork is, is it, you don't switch your identity. Mm -hmm. You actually just get closer to who you're, to true identity is right. that people have been wearing these masks all along mm -hmm. and these of, you know, based on the idea of what their parents wanted for them or what they thought they wanted for themselves. And so they've been wearing these masks and, um, putting that out to the world. And when you do breath work, you start to clear away the masks and you shed the masks and you shed the ideas of what other people think your life should be and what you should be. And you get to your true self your truest essence of yourself. And hopefully you get comfortable with that. At mm. least that's been my experience with myself and with students that I've watched transform in front of me. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I'm comfortable with that guy that I wasn't comfortable with, you know, being when I was younger. Right. I'm a sensitive human being. I'm, I'm very sensitive and um, 
And that, you know, growing up in Boston, it didn't allow for that sensitivity, right? right? It's not an environment where you can be really sensitive That's and true. emotional. And so um, that was, uh, that was very difficult for me. And it's part of the reason I drank and did drugs. And now I'm just really comfortable with that part of me. And it's funny because I say all the time, it's like, that was like my greatest wound. Mm -hmm. And your greatest wound can become your greatest strength. Because I think as a breathwork teacher, my vulnerability when I teach my class, which you'll find out is really unique. And it, it enables other people to get vulnerable within my breathwork classes as well. So I think mm -hmm. that's one of my greatest strengths as a breathwork teacher is my my uh, willingness to become vulnerable in my classes and in my trainings. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. I want to know, you know, as you sort of implied what happened in Los Angeles and the journey that took you there. But before that, did you ever have like a mystical, spiritual experience as a kid or maybe as a young adult? Did that ever happen? No, okay. no. I, uh, I wouldn't say so. No, I, I was too checked out, um, right. on alcohol and drugs. I don't think, I don't think you can have a mystical experience when you're completely checked out on alcohol and drugs. Um, I was just trying to survive. So, um, I didn't have those experiences until I got sober and got present and, um, and actually started to do the work on myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about your journey in LA and maybe you can also talk you know share about uh your method experience and having to process sure. all of that on stage which then had yeah. detrimental effects on your health if you don't mind sure yeah so I moved to Los Angeles and uh I was 23 at the time and I really you know was just ready to pursue my dream of acting and I, I wish I had gone earlier but I didn't you know you can't okay. look back and say that to yourself, but I just wasn't ready. And, um, I got myself in involved in a method acting program and I got a scholarship to the school and I, so it was a working scholarship. So I had to clean the school and collect the checks and do everything around the school. And I was also managing a fitness gym, you know, in Los Angeles and I had a side job. So I, I was pretty busy and I was pretty stressed out. And we were doing these things where we were tapping in the first year in that method acting program. It was Meisner method acting is all mm -hmm. about you. There's, you know, it's not about characters or scene study yet. And so you're really going to your, you know, self, like what makes you tick and what makes you react and all this kind of stuff. And it was really hard for me to pull down those walls that I had spent mm -hmm. a lifetime or 23 years building up to protect myself. And, um, one interesting moment that I share sometimes is that, you know, I was in the scene and it was very emotional scene and I was right there on the edge of like sort of getting vulnerable and I couldn't. And the teacher said, stop. And she said, take a deep breath down into your belly. And I did that. And I just started to cry. Mm. And it was like, oh, that's where your emotions are. Your emotions. I've been holding in all these emotions and they're right down here in my belly, right down here in my diaphragm. And that's, that's why so many people I believe are breathing shallow all the time. Mm -hmm. They're holding their breath and they're breathing shallow because when you breathe deep, you have to feel the stuff you don't want to feel. Right. So, so we're denying those emotions all the time when people are walking around with stress and anxiety and depression and they don't realize that like half of it is because they're just breathing really shallow and holding their breath all the time. And if they just started to breathe deep, they would feel those emotions and then they would feel better. So the feeling requires to be felt. The emotion requires to be felt. So in that method acting school, she had me do that. And I 
I actually started to have an emotional experience. Um, years later, when I started teaching breathwork, when I first started teaching breathwork, it was probably 20 years later or something like that. One of my uh, friends from that method acting school reached out to me and he said, I can't believe you're teaching breathwork. And I said, why? He goes, well, we did it in the method acting school and you hated oh. it. And I was like, really? I didn't even really remember it, you know? And so I wasn't ready for it. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I, I realized, you know, that's a great teacher for me because some people come to my classes and they're not ready. They're not ready for the experience. They're not ready to go there. Right. You know, they're not, they're not in a place where they can deal with that stuff. Um, and I wasn't back then either. So breathwork found me again, and I'm so glad it did. But um, yeah, so I was processing all this stuff. And what happened to me is I got uh, alopecia, which is a sudden hair loss, um, alopecia areata. And I started to get patches on my head and on my body. And um, the doctors put me on prednisone, which is a catabolic steroid. It makes you kind of bloated and fat. It's the opposite of what bodybuilders take. Bodybuilders take anabolic steroids, right? right? And then they were giving me cortisone shots in my eyebrows and in my head, which was really painful. Um, and I was working at Gold's Gym in Venice. And I was also, I had a side business as a trainer in Gold's Gym, Venice. So I'm getting like, I'm a, this bloated trainer, which is horrible. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting these shots, like every couple of weeks, I'm getting these shots in my eyebrows and my head, which were really painful. Um, and I started to eat Vicodin uh, when I go get the shot, which is a painkiller. And then I started to eat the Vicodin all the time because I didn't have the emotional um, tools to deal with what was happening to me, mm -hmm. right? And Vicodin is not just a pain blocker. It's an emotional pain blocker. It can kind of block that pain out. And, you know, the sad kind of embarrassing shallow truth was is that I was really um, wrapped up in my looks, you know, my self-worth and my self-esteem right. was in my looks. I was a trainer. I was an aspiring fitness model. I was an aspiring actor. And so how I looked was really important to me and that was being stripped away. And so if you, if your self-worth, self-esteem is wrapped up in your career or your marriage or whatever, your looks, and that gets stripped away, it's pretty devastating. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where it just escalated my drinking and drug use. And I, you know, I was suicidal at one point because um, it was so bad. And um, it finally bottomed me out and with drugs and alcohol and I got sober. And that was a, a life-changing event for me. So, but it took a couple of years. I mean, this was like mm -hmm. two or three years of hell, of right. really bad hell and just trying to go through it. Um, and then when I got sober, I went off all the prednisone and the cortisone and the doctor was like, you're going to lose all your hair mm -hmm. and your eyebrows and they're not going to come back. And I said, well, if that's what's supposed to be, that's what it's going to be. You know, I can't live like this. It's wrecking my health. It was giving me ulcers and causing all kinds of other health problems. So I just trusted that that's what it was supposed to be. And, and it was, uh, it was, it was an incredible transformation time for me because mm -hmm. I looked different, but then I was also, I became a different person, right? I started right. doing the work on myself. Um, and I started looking at like all the different things of the, you know, what really matters. I, I started, I started, that started my spiritual journey, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, I was doing the power of now and the seed of the soul and diving into Buddhist meditation and all that stuff. And uh -huh. it just forced me to go deep on myself. And then uh -huh. I started helping other people. I started mm -hmm. working with other people and helping other people, which is probably the most spiritual thing you can do. You know, the, mo the best thing you can do for yourself 
is to help other people. And I had never really helped other people. I was a trainer and I helped people that way and that felt good, but I had never really just helped somebody with nothing in return oh, other than okay. to help them and feel good. So I did, I did this big brothers program, big brothers of America, where you become a mentor for a young kid who's kind of doesn't have a father and struggling. And I, that was really powerful for me. And then I started helping other guys get sober mm -hmm. and watching their lives transform. And that was incredible for me. So that really took me on a journey of focusing on myself and getting healthy and changing my life and then helping other people. Right. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Very, very interesting. I love the themes that you are sharing as I relate that with my own life. I found uh, through personal introspection that uh, a lot of times life uh, works in cycles, right? Life is not uh, linear, it's in cycles. And a lot of times we experience yep. something that acts as a seed in our, in, our, in our mind and we forget about it. And later on, a couple of years down the line, we have that same encounter. But now we're a different human being altogether. Because in my life, like I said, I used to delve in sound all the time at Bose Corporation. But I didn't really think too much into it. And later on, when I was doing the breath along with the sound, somehow that brought back fond memories for me. And then I think a friend of mine said, hey, you were into sound and you were part of a rock band as well. And then I realized that sound was going to play a role in my life, but I didn't know how at that time. So that was first. Secondly, uh, you know, since we don't know each other that well, uh, you, you know, you don't know that um, I recently decided to shave my hair off, you know, just a couple of weeks back. I did it last year as well, but... Uh, more on an ongoing basis, sort of having a sh maintaining a shaved head because I noticed that uh, my head was thinning the last couple of years. And like you pointed mm -hmm. out, we attach a lot of our self-worth uh, by what we see on the mirror or what we perceive people might, you know, uh, look at as like, right? And so I made a conscious decision of, you know, shaving my head completely. And that felt so liberating. In a way, I felt like I don't need to care about anything anymore that boosted my uh, self-worth, my uh, confidence. And also now these mm -hmm. days, my head shaving has become like a meditative, mindful experience for me where I look in the mirror and I'm just, you know, shaving my hair off sure, and starting from scratch, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's great. Good for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a lot easier, that's for sure. Um, you know, I don't mind the bald. I've got a good shaped head. Yep. <laughs> um, I would, I would love to have some eyebrows and some eyelashes, uh, right. and maybe be able to grow a beard. Yeah. But you know, I, I've, I've had it a long time now. So we're talking, right. 
23 years. So I, I've, I'm in a, a, you know, it's a, it doesn't even phase me anymore uh, mm. at this point. But when it first, when I first went through it, it was pretty hard for me. It was pretty traumatic. Right. So, um, and I, and it's weird because it's not, it's not like cancer, right? So you, you're going through this terrible thing, but you don't want to feel too bad for yourself because you don't have cancer. Yeah. You know, you don't have some like life threatening disease. You're just, it's just an aesthetic thing. Right. Yeah. So then that's kind of a, that's kind of a mind fuck. Am, am I allowed to swear on here or no? No, you totally, gonna, totally fine. Yeah. No, yeah that's okay. okay. I'll yeah, try yeah. not to. It's the Boston in me that comes out <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> it's a total, you know, it screws with your head. Like, you know, like, oh, you know, I shouldn't feel sorry for myself, but then you're denying what you're really feeling too. Right. Yeah. It's kind of weird also how society creates these standards of beauty for men and women, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Like 10 years back, if you shaved your head, maybe people would tease you or say, you know, you, but these days you have Joe Rogan who's shaved his head. You've got The Rock who shaved the head. You have, you've got, I don't sure. know, Jeff Bezos who shaved head. All of a sudden people look at people with shaved head a little differently. So it's weird how, you know, if some people do certain things, you know, you know, the society creates these artificial narratives about what's acceptable and what's not. Right? That also. Oh, yeah. It's t beauty standards have totally changed. I mean, when I was growing up, it was all about women that were like sticks, like yeah. waif thin, right? Heroin right, right. chic, right? They called it. And yeah, now yeah, yeah. it's all about super, super curvy, ultra curvy. Yeah. And, you know, I just think. I feel, you know, it's definitely harder for women. I feel bad for women. Mm. They have these impossible standards to live up to. And I just think healthy is what looks good. That's true. You know, being healthy, being healthy is what looks good to me now. No, not like extreme in any, in any way. Right. Just taking good care of yourself. That's um, right. From a health standpoint. And so, um, you know, I, I just, I understand what it's like to worry so much about your looks because I, I was like that and, and, to, and, and I lost it at a young age. And so what a lesson that was for me, what a gift that was for me to, to, to teach me. It was such mm -hmm. a teacher because I don't think I would have got sober had That's I true. not had that experience, right? So that, that brought me to my sobriety at a young age, at a fairly young age, which was a gift. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'd have the life I have today had I not got sober at 26 years old, right? Mm -hmm. And so what a gift losing my hair was. I, I mean, I really look at it that way. And yeah. um, it's not really what happens to you that matters. It's the meaning that you assign those experiences. So I assigned the meaning that it was a gift. Yeah. And I'm grateful. Amazing. So talk to us about the first uh, breathwork session that you attended. What's the story behind that? Uh, how did you get to know about it in the first place? And uh, you know what really happened? Um, okay. Well, there's a couple different ways I could go with this. So I did, a, <laughs> I did some breathing with a, with a, like a spiritual healer guy, but that wasn't the breath work. That wasn't circular breath work. So that was just a different form of breath work. And, um, that kind of opened up my eyes for like, what is this? Right. And that was the, this guy that Matthew Perry from friends, um, went to see this spiritual healer guy. And then he told me about him. I was his trainer at the time and we were close friends. And I said, nah, that sounds like nonsense. It sounds like he's asphyxiating you. And so he got me a session with this guy and I went in to see this guy and he did this weird breathing technique. And it was like, whoa, it kind of blew my mind. And then two people who didn't know each other, two friends of mine, but they didn't know each other said to me, you need to go try breath work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what's breath work, right? Like, you know, breath works an umbrella term, but 
they meant circular breath work, conscious connected breathing. So I went to this studio in Los Angeles that's not there anymore, this yoga studio that had a lot of breath work. And I walked in and it was a class, probably like six, seven people, maybe at the most. And I'm, you know, at the time I was still really, I'm from Boston, right? Like I was living in Los Angeles a couple of years, but I'm like, oh my God, what is this? Like I'm cynical and, um, you know, the teacher's got this sheepskin rug and there's oils out and there's crystals. And I'm like, oh, what is this fresh hell? that I've walked into because I'm, this is not my scene. This is not my thing. Mm -hmm. And she starts talking all this stuff that's woo woo and new agey. And I'm like, oh, God, mm -hmm. this is going to be <laughs> awful. And I laid down and I did the, the circular breathing technique. And I thought I couldn't really breathe into my diaphragm because I was a trainer and I had been working my abs for 20, 30 years, oh, okay. maybe. And so I had a real hard time. I hadn't really breathed into my belly. I hadn't really breathed into my diaphragm. So I had a real hard time breathing into my diaphragm and I was arching my back to try and get it in there and working so hard. Yet I still had the experience. I still had the big experience where I broke open and I had this, you know, I thought, okay, this is like a workout. You know, I'm a trainer. This is like a workout. I can wrap my brain around it. I had tried meditation. I had tried all these different things. And I couldn't get my mind to quiet down in meditation. It was just so hard for me and so painful, like to sit there and my back hurt and all these things. Mm -hmm. And so I cracked open during the breath work and I started to feel, I started to feel, first I started to feel weird and mm -hmm. then I just cracked open and I had this big emotional release. And it was the biggest, most cathartic emotional release I've ever had in my life. And I cried probably you know, 20 years of stuff that I had pushed down and all this trauma and all the things that had happened to me. And it was undeniable. And yet I hated the class. I hated the music. I didn't really care for the teacher's style. I didn't really mm -hmm. care for all of it, but the experience, the technique was undeniable. And so I was blown away by it. And I started to do it on my own right away, like daily. So I made a playlist of songs that I actually liked and I started to breathe in my room and have these big experiences at home in my room. Mm -hmm. And that was life-changing and it actually felt better. And then occasionally I would go to a class to try and, you know, have that community, but it just didn't vibe with me um, because it's just not my, it's just not my style. It's not my language. Right. Mm -hmm. And somewhere in that process, I thought, why doesn't everybody know about this? You know, this is like, why didn't somebody show this to me when I was 14 years old and I was suicidal? Or why didn't somebody show this to me when I was losing my hair and I was suicidal? Or, you know, like all this, like how the, how was this thing so incredible, so powerful, so life-changing? And I had never heard of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized, my realization was, oh, it's been kept in these weird new age woo-woo circles for too long. Mm -hmm. And people do things with people that are like them. And they, you know, and so I, I just somehow by happenstance ended up walking into something that I would never do. Um, right. So I thought if somebody taught this in a way that was kind of like Tony Robbins, I had just done Tony Robbins. I met Tony. He was amazing. He invited me to a seminar. That was life-changing. And I had just come back from that. So I missed okay. that whole story. So I was kind of open from Tony Robbins okay. to go into the breath work so that he opened me up. And I thought if somebody taught this in a Tony Robbins style in an East Coast way that was like funny and edgy, they would have hundreds of people in the room. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you get to do my class, you'll see that that's kind of the way I do it. 
I'm very different from other breathwork teachers. I don't really have the woo-woo new age language. I kind of make it funny. Um, I'm kind of edgy at the beginning. Um, and so, and I coach throughout the breath work. Mm -hmm. I'm yelling things like in the beginning of the breathing, I'm like, keep going. You know, you've done harder shit in your life than lay on the floor and breathe. Come on. It's not that hard. Don't let your brain trick you. I do the class that I wish somebody would do for me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I want somebody to push me in those first three or four songs, which is the hardest part of breath work. Right. It's kind of like going to the gym and working out. So I was a trainer. So I got that. Right. So the trainer in me kicks in and pushes people. And then the second half of the breathing, I want somebody to say the things I need to hear to kind of open up emotionally. So I say all these emotional things, right? right? I say things like, you know, everybody wants somebody to show up and love them for who they are, the way they are, but we don't love ourselves for who we are, the way we are. You teach people how to love you. You show people how to love you by how you love yourself and how you love yourself is how you show up and do the hard work for yourself. Mm -hmm. So I say all this emotional stuff in the second half of the breathing to crack people open. And then, um, you know, I'm playing the music that I like. And so, you know, I hung around with a bunch of musicians. I went on tour with musicians yeah. uh, when I was a sober coach. And so the music plays into that. So everything I've done kind of goes into the breathwork teacher that I am today. The acting, the, 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 the personal trainer, the sober coach, all of it, the writer. I was a writer for 10 years. It all goes into that. Yeah. Um, and then I have people, I do these things, I call them the heart moments, where I pull moments in after the breathwork, moments of gratitude, moments of love. Because I, you know, when I went to breathwork, you would have this big experience and often traumas would come up or things would come up. And then you'd just be like, okay, uh, have a good night, you know? And I was like, what, I'm going to walk out of here with all that stuff? Yeah. And so I wanted people to leave grounded in gratitude and love. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we do the breathing, we let out a massive yell, which is something I added at the end. Mm -hmm. And then there's a rest song where I don't say anything so people can get whatever information, whatever downloads they're supposed to get. And then we do, I do the heart moments, moments of gratitude, moments of love. I, I guide these through these beautiful heart moments. And then I read something short at the end. Mm -hmm. And so people, you're wide open. You've just cleared all this stress, all this anxiety, trauma, whatever. It's come up and out of you. I want to fill the heart back in with gratitude and love. I want people to leave focused and feeling the things that really matter, which is gratitude and love. So mm -hmm. I've added it. My, my class is a real guided experience. You know, and some of the traditional breathwork teachers, especially way back in the day, said I was doing it wrong. You know, you're, you're talking too much. You're doing too much. You're saying you're guiding it too much. You know, everybody, when change comes along, people don't like it. Mm -hmm. um, the old guard doesn't like it. So I really shifted it. What I did was I took the technique and I built my whole method around that technique. Mm -hmm. And now you got a lot of people out there copying it. And they're either my students or people who are like learned breathwork and then they came to my class and they're like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do it this way. So I've got mm -hmm. a lot of copycats out there. But I was the first guy that I know of to start doing the heart moments afterwards and to shape it the way I shaped it. Mm -hmm. um, and I was also the first guy to put it online, to put my trainings online. Um, and then other people started to jump on that train too once the shutdown happened. Like these teachers said, you can't teach this online. And and I was like, why not? And they said, it's not going to work online. And, and then once the shutdown happened, they all started doing it online. And I go, <laughs> yeah. oh, so you can only teach it online when you're not making money doing it any other way, yeah. right? Is it's that the online, truth now? But it's online, yeah. but, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
So we found out the truth when the shutdown happened and they couldn't make money in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really interesting what you said. And what I got from it is that your vibe attracts your tribe, right? A lot of times we yeah. might go into different groups and communities and we have a great experience. Like you pointed out, you went there by chance. You didn't really, you know, completely intentionally go in there. And there were a lot of yeah. things that were holding you back, but you went there. And then because of our vibe, we realized, oh, there's this, this group that probably would love this experience, but I bring something different to it. So let me recreate mm -hmm. that experience for that group. For this group, like in my case, it might be South Asians or for men sure. or this, right? And it's like the same medicine, but the way that we deliver it, it makes it more palatable for that that group, which 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 totally totally makes sense. And um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I, when I started, when I did this training, I trained under a few different people, and yeah. one guy was this like nice Southern guy, He's right. a nice guy, but in everyone in his trainings was trying to sound like him, and right. I couldn't be him, like. They were like trying to be quiet and sweet and Southern. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not that guy. Mm -hmm. I'm a loud, obnoxious Boston guy. So yeah. that's inauthentic to myself. And, and so I started being myself in these classes and people, and my classes got big yeah. and people and all the other people that I trained with are like, well, what's he doing? You know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I'm being myself. Yeah. Right. Which is like, and also I noticed, you know, at some of the other teachers, not, not necessarily breathwork teachers, I was teaching at a studio with meditation studio with other teachers and they would walk in and they would be like, you know, hello everyone, Mercury's in retrograde and I know everyone's having a hard time right now. And I'm like, what's that voice you're doing? And yeah. like, come on, you know? And uh -huh. so I would walk in and I'd be like, oh my God, I just took the 405 to the 101 to the 10 freeway to get here. And I almost just choked someone out in the parking lot, but you sit your ass down. I'm going to put gratitude and love in your heart. Come on, let's go. Yeah. And so I came in with a whole, and people were like, what? Like, there, I was, uh, you know, they don't expect a teacher, right. like a breathwork teacher to, to come in that way. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is, is that I'm not enlightened. You know, mm -hmm. I just did an Instagram post about this the other day. It's like kind of people, my friends and my wife, they know I'm not enlightened, but like other people are kind of shocked when I get angry or annoyed or whatever. Yeah. Well, I'm a human being. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get annoyed. I'm having a human experience just because I teach breathwork and I teach other people how to teach breathwork doesn't mean I'm never going to get annoyed or angry or upset. Yeah. That's not human. Yeah. So to put those expectations on my teacher or myself is ridiculous. That's it's true. how it's how I deal with those things. It's how I deal with the anger or the frustration is is where the teacher comes in is or where the growth comes in or the you know that that guy that's uh that's done the work, right? Mm -hmm. So laying down and doing breath work is how I deal with it. That's one of the many tools that I've developed. Yeah. You know, I, if I get angry or something happens, I can lay down and do breath work and then it will reset me, reset my day. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a t-shirt that says, I'm sorry for what I said before breath work. Because mm. it's like sometimes before breath work, I was out there reacting in the world and the, right. my reactions were not appropriate to the situation because of the trauma, because of the stuff that's stored up. And you see that with people, right? They just blow up over this thing. It's like, whoa, that's not really an appropriate reaction to what's going on. Well, that's trauma. That's stored up stuff that they're reacting. They're triggered from old, old things and stuff that's happened to them. Now my reactions are right-sized. So I'm appropriately annoyed or angry or whatever for the situation. Yeah. And what am I going to do about it? Am I going to yeah. do something about it? So um, 
yeah, I just think that I, people go like, oh, you're so authentic. Are you so authentic? I'm like, I'm not trying to be authentic. I'm just <laughs> being honest and real and genuine and not giving a shit what people think. Yeah. And so the right people are going to find me. I cannot be true to myself and be who I really am and then worry about what people are going to think about me. Yeah. And so other breathwork teachers will stumble on me and it's, excuse me, it's one way or the other. They either love me or they hate me. You yeah. know, I, they're not, there's no in between. Like I had some lady come, like, I don't know when it was a couple months ago to online and like literally like five minutes into the class, she's like, you're talking too much. You're too loud. It's assaulting my nervous system. I'm a breathwork teacher. You can't do it this way. And I was like, please leave. Please mm -hmm. leave. Like, this isn't for you. I'm not for you. I'll refund your money back. Like, go away. Um, and then she went on and did like a post about how I was like the not teaching. The, she'd been teaching like a year or two and I've been doing it a decade. So like, mm. who is she to come say how I should be teaching? Right. I'm obviously not her flavor, but yeah. you know, all the hundreds and hundreds of people that show up to my classes, I am their flavor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's like, you're going to, you've been teaching for a year and you got five people coming to your class and I've got 300 people and you're going to tell me I'm doing it wrong. Like, yeah, what are you yeah, talking yeah. about? Yeah. I think, uh, authenticity comes in different sizes and different packages and different flavors, right? A lot of people assume that authenticity is this, or it sounds like this, or these are the words that you say, but when people try to emulate that one person who is authentic by themselves, then it's inauthentic because they're trying to be that person. You can't replicate yep. that person. And people can sense it also, right? Like people, so it's, it's way beyond words. Person doesn't have to say anything. They can sense that person is not being completely in alignment of who they are, whether it's yeah. you know, using certain words or whether it's more brash and more direct. Yeah, yeah you're 100% right. You cannot be great. You right. cannot be like unique and amazing yeah. while copying someone else. That's true. It doesn't work. I, I've seen some good copycats though. There's a there's one or two out there that I that come yeah. to mind that are so <laughs> that have copied me and they literally like just taken my copy and just put it on their stuff, you know. And like right. I've had people copy and paste, and I'm like, what is that? Like, do the yeah. work yourself. Yeah. People people want to skip the line. They don't want to do the work, and they just you know want to copy and mm -hmm. they're lazy. And uh, I think that um, it's a bummer. You know, it bums me out and there's not much I can do about it. Um, and I think it shines through, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of all the benefits of breathwork, and I know that our listeners can read about it online, and you read articles and there are so much of, you know, conversations and discussions around breathwork itself. What to you is the biggest benefit that conscious connected breathwork in particular offers to you know, the audience or somebody who was practicing. So uh, it's hard to say like the, the one main benefit because yeah. there's so many benefits. That's true. And I think that everybody's different and everybody comes to breathwork with their own set of problems and issues. Mm -hmm. And so the beauty of it is it's going to deal with whatever your problem or issue is. If you've got a health issue, something like IBS or some sort of digestive issue, breathwork is incredibly amazing for that health issue. In fact, most health issues are caused by emotional issues, right? You look at my alopecia, for instance, alopecia is something that's a, it's an autoimmune condition where your hair attacks, your white blood cells attack your hair follicles and make them fall out uh, because it thinks it's a foreign body. And that's caused, they think it's caused by stress or trauma. And so 
I tell people like, if you don't think your emotions can affect your health, then go find my eyebrows because they're gone. And that's an emotional reason. That's an emotional, mm -hmm. it's a physical result from a, an emotional thing. Mm -hmm. So I've seen it really shift a lot of health issues for people. And I, you know, I've seen one of the things that I love that I think is really powerful is you hear all the time. It's very cliche. You got to love yourself. You mm -hmm. got to learn to love yourself first, right? Self-care, self-love is the big thing. Um, but they're like, how do I do that? How do I love myself? Well, for me, loving myself is doing the hard work for myself when I don't feel like doing it. And that's kind of breath work. And what breath work does is it, it is it makes me get to a place where I can love myself, where I can be whole and I don't need anything else outside of me. And if I can get there, then all the other stuff is, doesn't really matter. And mm -hmm. so it's taught me that self-love. And what, it, what I realize is I make mistakes. I still make mistakes all the time. I'm human. I make mistakes with my kids. I make mistakes with my wife. I make mistakes with my business. And that's, not, I'm going to still keep making mistakes, but I don't have to beat myself up over those mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so if the shift, if I can get the shift in like knowing, acknowledging like, you know what, John Paul, you're probably going to make a mistake today or a couple mistakes today. But like, do you have to beat yourself up over them? If my kids were as hard on themselves as I am on myself, that would hurt my heart. That would break my heart. So mm -hmm. I need to model that for them. I need to stop being so hard on myself. So I'm modeling that for my children. Yeah. So how do I stop being so hard on myself? And breath work is one of the ways that I learned to do that is like just to learn to love myself. Yeah. Um, it's also a great way to just clear out, clear the decks of stress, anxiety, worry, depression, all that kind of stuff. It just clears that right off the decks. Um, if you've got trauma, I, I've never seen anything you know better for trauma than breath work. So the, the, there's so many benefits out there. I almost feel like if we went into all the benefits, people would be like, yeah, that's ridiculous. Right. And so I, most of the people I'm sure are listening to the show are, you know, already into this breath work or into the world to some degree. So I'm not trying to convince anyone if you've already known it, you've already done it. Mm -hmm. um, but you can also use it as this tool to shape your life, um, right. which I have done. You know, it's given me direction and clarity. I'm like, what do I do next? Okay, let me lay down and breathe. And like, it'll tell me what I'm supposed to do next. You, there's this argument that happens in my head. I used to see clients privately. I don't anymore, but uh, they would come in and they would go, I go, okay, where do you feel stuck? What's the problem? And they would be like, oh, well, I'm in this relationship. And I go, yeah. And they go, well, he's this and he's this and he's this. And I'm like, okay. And then, but he really, you know, and they give me the two sides of the case of the relationship. They're like a lawyer pleading the case. Mm -hmm. And I go, okay, great. Let's set the intention for clarity about what's right for you in that relationship. And they would lay down and breathe. And then they would sit up and the answer would be perfectly clear. Right. That, you know, the relationship's not right for them. Because what they did was they turned off their head. And they moved into their heart, which is one of the things breathwork does. It turns off the head and moves you into your heart. And your heart knows exactly what is best for you, what, what it wants for you. Your head can create arguments on either side to try and protect you and keep you safe. But your heart knows what it wants. Mm -hmm. um, and then what happens to a lot of those people is their head turns back on and they start to get in their fear and they start to go, well, like, I don't want to go back on Bumble. Or I don't want to go back on the dating sites again. And it's too hard. And then they, they get scared and mm -hmm. they start to live in their fear. So they live in their fear rather than living in their faith and in their heart. So if you do breath work again, 
you turn off that fear and you go, nope, I don't want this. But some people don't want to go there. So they stop because they'd rather live in the lie. They'd rather live in the comfort zone of like not really having what they want. Mm-hmm. For some, that, like people would rather be safe, sadly enough. Not yeah. all of them, but you know. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's like, very true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What 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 we what we what you were saying was uh you know it's it's very interesting what you said because you said or at least you you implied that it's about doing what you said you would do, and that's part of self love because I have found yep. that as well if you do not do what you said you would something within you you start not loving or not respecting yourself as well so doing yep. what you said you would do whether it is a breathwork session or waking up and doing a cold shower which I love. Uh, but doing mm-hmm. what you said you would do because you're, you tend to build that respect for yourself even more and more through micro steps. And then the next thing is, like you pointed out, knowing and acknowledging that things will go wrong, but then you still love yourself and you will take some corrective measures in order to get closer and closer to your vision. So it's like mm-hmm. a balancing act, right? Doing, but also knowing that as a result of your doing, it won't always be perfect. But then you'll still yeah, make progress. But here's the thing. If you're not doing what you said you were going to do. Yeah. Um, yes, you're going to be, you know, not feel good about yourself. But also, you're going to allow people in your life that aren't doing what they said they were going to do. That's so now true. You're, you've, got, you've got somebody in your <laughs> life. You've got, you're in a relationship with somebody who's not showing up for the way, like the way they said they were going to do. And you're yeah. getting upset with them. But you're not doing it yourself. The yeah. only reason we ever let anyone treat us poorly is because we treat ourselves poorly or we feel like we deserve it on some level, unconsciously or consciously. But once you start showing up for yourself and doing what you said you were going to do and you do the work on yourself, you won't accept that from other people. You won't accept other people to not show up for, the, for you. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen relationships totally either change or end as a result of breath work. That is so true. I can see that for corporates as well, right? Like you mentioned, a lot of times employees at the lower level don't do or act in a certain way or in alignment with the values of that company or the vision of that company because they're like, that guy, that boss, he does the same thing and he makes yeah. mistakes all the time and he goes against his words. And so it sort of trickles down from the yeah. leaders, right? And if the leader is somebody who is disciplined, says what he or what she, uh, you know, does what she, he or she said they would do and is in complete alignment, then it trickles down. Everyone respects them because of their word and yep. how they respect it. Yeah. I mean, I worked at, that's how I operate with my kids, right. and my wife. Like we do what we say we're going to do, mm. even if we don't want to do it. Like, you know, my daughter joined the swim team and she came home immediately like, hate it. I don't want to do it. I want to quit. You know, it's <laughs> not fun. It was terrible. Yeah. And I said, I, Okay, but you have to finish out this season. I'm not going to, you know, I'm like, you know, you said you were going to do it. You made the commitment and you got to follow through because we follow through what we say we're going to do, even when we don't want to do it mm-hmm. because we made a commitment. And sure enough, here we are like ha- halfway in and she's actually really good and she's like doing well and now she loves it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, mm, I'm glad I was able to sort of push her and hold her accountable to get over that hump. Um mm-hmm. Because if we quit every time things are hard, every time something's uncomfortable, then we're not going to do anything with our life. If you do That's what's true. easy all the time, then life gets hard. And if you do what's hard, then life gets easy. You, you know, you got to choose 
you're hard. Breathwork no. is hard. Breathwork is uncomfortable in the beginning and you have to push through in order to get the results. Cold showers are hard, mm -hmm. right? But they feel amazing afterwards. Almost everything that's good for you is really hard or uncomfortable while you're doing it. Breathwork, exercise, cold showers, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And then you feel amazing afterwards, hmm. you know? So if you're willing to show up and push through that uncomfortable or that difficulty or that hardness, you're going to have, you're going to feel great afterwards. And if you don't do that, if you're just lazy and you don't do any of that stuff, you're going to feel miserable because of that. So where do you want your uncomfortableness? <laughs> I want to ask you, uh, I want to talk about limiting beliefs. Now, a lot of people get into breath work because they, somewhere, somehow, in some format, recognize that they have these limiting beliefs that are then holding them back from achieving their or pursuing their goals and desires, right? So how mm -hmm. does breathwork help a person let go of that limiting belief? And then if you can also couple that with what were some of your limiting beliefs that you had to sort of work on earlier on, um, you know, mm -hmm. as a leader, as a father, as somebody who is uh, helping others make a change in their lives? It's a great question. So limiting beliefs of, you know, the first thing you have to ask yourself about those is like, where did they come from? Mm. Where did this limiting belief that I have develop uh, that I can't be a good father or I can't be a good teacher or I, you know, or I can't do this. And it's usually childhood, right? It comes from our parents or some sort of story that something happened to us in our childhood. And so in a way, it's almost like a trauma, you know, that we got that story. It's a story that was created in our childhood that I'm not smart enough or I'm not, I'm not a good public speaker um, because you tried to do a book report in school and you did a terrible job on it and you didn't go back and then work harder on it and go back up right. and do it again, right? So that goes yep. back to what we were just saying. Like that first time she did the swim, she wasn't good at it. So there's two ways you can go when that happens. You can work harder at it and become good at it. Or you can go back and just say, you can create a story like, I'm not a good swimmer. That's it. That's over. I'm not a good swimmer. And I had a lot of those stories in my own life. Mm -hmm. um, and once I started doing breath work, you start to get clear about what your stories are. And they're like, oh, this is a story I created because of this, because this thing happened and that thing happened. And like, if you can let go of that story and write a new story, then you can oh, shift that okay. area. Mm -hmm. Right. So first is like recognizing where did this start? What's the limiting belief? So first identifying what the limiting belief is and then going, where did that come from? Uh -huh. Oh my God, that came from my mother said this when I was a kid. She said I wasn't good at math or I wasn't good at that. And like, oh, that's just a story that was created. Like, let me focus my energy here because whatever you focus on expands. Right. So if I if I have a story that I'm not a good public speaker, or I, I, I'm not good at speaking in front of groups of people. And I can go back to that story where it originated and go, oh, that's, that's interesting. Recognize that and then change that and then start to identify it and work on my public speaking. Like it's a skill, which mm -hmm. it is the crazy. I, I, I read this somewhere that like the number one fear that people have is public speaking. Mm -hmm. Number two is death. Right. So people fear public speaking more than death. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I guess it's an ingrained thing or something. I don't know. Right. So for me, I joke like in my class, uh, my training, like what's the worst thing that's going to happen in here? What's the worst thing I can think of that I, that could happen to me in here? Like I shit my pants. 
mm-hmm. you know, like, like <laughs> okay, like that would be horrible. That would be embarrassing. That would be humiliating, but I would live, I would be fine, you know? And so I kind of go, let me, let me get over myself and work on this skill set. And so limiting beliefs, you can shift whatever that is. If you focus your energy, you identify the story and you change it and you shift it and you focus your energy on working on the opposite of that. I'm not good with money. Okay, where did that come from? Oh, that came from hearing my mother say all these things about money when I was a kid. And mm-hmm. let me learn about financial health, Yeah, you know? And so I've shifted so many limiting beliefs in myself. Yeah. That's very, very interesting. And following up on that same question, a lot of times when people want to make a change in their lives, a lot of people have fear of failure. That's true. A lot of people mm. fear getting into a project and not uh, you know, succeeding in that endeavor and then failing. But a lot of people have fear of success. What if I do succeed and then fail? It's going to be even worse than right where I'm at right now. What if I, you know, make $100,000 and then go back to square one? What if I get mad and then get divorced? Or if I get a new job and then get fired or get laid off, right? So from a mindset standpoint, how do you reconcile or how do you think about not coming back to square one after achieving that success? Or do you even think about that in the first place? And then how does, you know, breathwork help you navigate through this mental mess the mind can sometimes create does that make sense good question yeah i think so i think so well so first of all i don't look at failing as a bad thing okay i look at failing as a way to get closer to your goal Mm -hmm. so i i had a i had a guy that i worked for in boston at this gym and he Mm -hmm. would make me stand in front of the department of motor vehicles the dmv next door to the gym yeah and he would make me try and get people to, they were going in to like renew their license or pay a ticket to like yeah. come into the gym. So I'd be standing out in front. And I'd be like, hey, come on into the gym over here. I want to show you the gym. And they're like, dude, I'm going to renew a ticket. Like stop <laughs> bothering me, right? Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. But what I learned was I would ask 10 people and nine out of those 10 people would say no. Mm-hmm. But the 10th person would say yes. Mm-hmm. So every one of those no's, which is a failure, got me closer to my yes. Right. So the more I'm failing, the closer I'm getting to succeeding. And I, I think I've actually failed more than most breathwork teachers. I've done so many different classes and different locations and different things and tried different things that didn't work. Yeah. And that's why I'm so successful now. You know, I had a class in Santa Monica that was sold out, you know, every week, 150 people and 50 people trying to get in on top of the 150 people. And like, it took a while to build it up and create it and do all this stuff. And then two nights later, I'd have one in Malibu, 20 minutes away, 25 minutes away that like nobody would come. Like, uh-huh. I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. Right. Why yeah. doesn't Malibu work? Yeah. You know, but everyone wants to come to Santa Monica. Nobody wants to come to Malibu. It's 25 minutes away. So like trying to figure, trying to navigate those things and fail, figure out what works and what doesn't work. The mm-hmm. problem with most people, I think it, this book really influenced me. I forget the author of it. it might've been John Maxwell. It was called failing forward. Uh, and it was, okay. it basically reshaped my perception, my perception around failing, which is failing is a good thing. And if I can embrace failing, it'll get me closer to, to succeeding. You know, there's a, there's a, like a statistic that the average millionaire who's under 30 creates like nine or 10 businesses that fail before they become a millionaire. Right. So it's like, but the problem is most people will create a business and fail and be like, I don't want to go through that again. 
So they go work for somebody else now. They don't uh, want to, they don't want to, they don't want that. They don't want to feel that experience of feel, failure again. So, but if they created another business and then that failed and they create another one and that failed, they'd eventually getting closer to something that works. Interesting. So, yeah. so I embrace failure as something that is like, just, it's just teaching me what doesn't work, right? It's the light bulb. The guy tried what, 1200 different ways to make the light bulb. And he's yeah. like, you failed 1200 times. He's like, no, I found 1200 ways that the light bulb doesn't work. Right. Yeah, so yeah, I found yeah. the, we wouldn't have light today if he didn't embrace the failure. Um, <laughs> also, you know, I have succeeded at creating several businesses. You know, I was a, my first career was a chef and then I was a, um, I was a personal trainer. Um, and then I was a screenwriter and a sober companion and all these businesses I created that were successful. So I know what it takes to build a business from nothing and make it successful in different areas, completely different areas. Mm -hmm. um, so if I was going to start over again, I would just, I would, I'm better at it now. I don't want to because I'm older, but like that's part of the process. So if I was to start in a completely new business or completely new area, I know what I have to do. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a mindset mindset thing right uh backed by prior experience being able to look in hindsight seeing what worked what doesn't work and also the connections my question for you is um also along with mindset have you noticed that a lot of uh, times uh, when an entrepreneur maybe does not succeed they're like i have to get a job but when an employee gets a job he's like i got a job right it's like mm -hmm. Same job. One person says, I have to. The other person says, wow, I got it. It's all perception. It's a know? perception. Yeah. It's all perception and how you're going to embrace these things. I want to go back into the topic of trauma because I think it's so important. I know that you've written eloquently about uh, trauma, but also the fact that there are different types of trauma, right? It could be like PTSD. It could be childhood trauma. It could be a trauma due to an impact, like an accident. It could be like relationships. But we all go through different, uh, you know, types of traumas. And birthing is probably the biggest trauma that we can experience coming out of the womb and, and then experiencing this <laughs> high levels of oxygen. Uh, but um, could you give us an overview of um, some of the different types of trauma that we can experience sure. and how to think through this, so to speak, because this can be a, a delicate issue sometimes and that holds a person back from getting into breastwork in the first place and they'll be like, I have mm. trauma. What if I get more trauma after this? Mm. Well, so I don't think, first of all, you, I, mean, I think you listed all the different types of trauma pretty well, right? Um, so I don't think I need to do that, but... Yeah. Um, when someone says, I, you know, I don't want to experience trauma through breathwork, breathwork doesn't cause tra trauma. Breathwork doesn't create trauma. You're just breathing. You're just laying on the floor breathing. The yeah. trauma that comes up sometimes in breathwork is inside of you. Yeah. And it's already there. And breathwork is just bringing it up because it needs to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. So I've had people say like, oh, this trauma came up during breathwork. And then I'm like, yeah, the breathwork, that trauma came from whenever that came from, whatever happened. The breathwork is just showing you that it's there. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't there, you wouldn't be experiencing it. Mm -hmm. If it didn't need to be dealt with and it, you wouldn't be experiencing it, wouldn't be coming up, right? Yeah. So like I had traumas that came up for me, personal traumas of physical things that happened to me and other things that happened to me during the breathwork. 
And I went, oh, I had completely forgotten about that thing that happened to me, you mm -hmm. know, or, I, you know, or that incident. And so the breath work just showed me that it needed to be dealt with. Right. So like, let's look at animals, right? Animals, when a rabbit gets chased and it almost gets killed, it's, what does it do afterwards? It shakes mm -hmm. to release that trauma in its nervous system. Well, what do we do when we experience trauma? Right? What mechanism? Yeah. What mechanism do we have to release the trauma? I believe my personal experience, uh, I believe that the trauma gets in our sympathetic nervous system. We have sympathetic and parasympathetic. And I believe that breathing into our sympathetic nervous system in this way can clear the trauma out. And so I believe this is our mechanism by which we can clear the trauma out of our body. So it's not causing the trauma. It's just, it's helping you clear the trauma. But what happens is some people get so freaked out by it. And now trauma has become this buzzword. You know, it's like, oh, just, is this a trauma-informed yeah. training? I've seen that, right? yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's <laughs> like, that's just a buzzword that people are creating. Yeah. Um, trauma, it's, breathwork has always been about clearing the trauma. It's always dealt with it, right? And what are you going to do when the trauma comes up? Like, oh, how more trauma informed are you going to be? Yeah. Like, what can you do when someone's trauma comes up? For mm -hmm. them? You can sit there with them and hold the space with them and help them process it. Or you can send them to, you know, a, uh, a therapist or a professional in that field and help them process the trauma if they would need to discuss it and talk about it. Yeah. But I feel like um, clearing it out of your nervous system is the, is the best way to process it and deal with it. I know mm -hmm. that I did it myself in my room by myself. Yeah. It was the safest place to be, right? And the, some of the breathwork facilitators will say, like, you need someone there with you, helping you, you know, guiding uh, you. Like that's, yeah, the fear, yeah, yeah. that's the fear they create around Correct. breathwork. Like if you're not, if you're not informed about trauma when you're taking someone through a session, well, let, let me ask you a question. What do you if somebody's got trauma, sexual trauma, right? Which is one in four women and one in six men. Yeah. What do you think is going to feel safer for them? Having someone hover over them while they're breathing and touching mm. their body and putting their hand on their chest or their hips or whatever, or having nobody in the room or having, or doing it online by themselves in the bedroom with somebody guiding through them in the computer. Are they going to feel safer? What nobody's in the room with them, right? So nobody's going to touch them. Nobody's yeah. going to traumatize them again, or having somebody hover above them, touching them in all these different ways. Right. What, it seems obvious to me, right? But what all these other breathwork teachers have done is they've created this scare tactic, I believe, where it's like, you have to know what you're doing with trauma with people and the thing when you do. And it's like, it's just a scare tactic. It right. really is. And you know what? I'm going by my own personal experience, which is I dealt with my trauma by myself in the room doing breathwork. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I've seen people with trauma who are, uh, feel safer, you know, in a group or on an online session. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's my, that's my take on that. It's kind of controversial. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Which brings me to my next question in, when it comes to breath work, when it comes to letting go of fears and letting go of trauma, uh, do you believe that touch is required or no touch? Or do you believe in consent based touch? Cause there are different, uh, you know, conversations going on right now sure. when it comes to breath work and what is it required for that transformation? Uh, you sort of implied what your <laughs> answer is, but... Well, no, well, it's not not necessarily. Like, I, no. I believe that touch touch is is great if, of course, you have to get consent first. You know, I yeah. teach my students, like, you never, ever touch anyone anywhere 
yeah. ever without consent. Yeah. And then there's only certain spaces, places on the body that you can touch that are right. acceptable, mm -hmm. right? Shoulders, feet, you know, belly. I, I've developed a technique where, you know, I like the student or the client to put one hand on the chest, one hand on the belly. And then I like to push on their hand. Because uh, I feel like okay. that's more comfortable for them that if makes you're sense. on their hand rather than putting your hand on their belly, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think let less touch now is is a better way to go. Mm -hmm. But I don't think no touch because some people really appreciate it and like it. Yeah. And so there's an open communication with the client right. um, or with the student, right? I think that mm -hmm. do you like touch? Do you not like touch? I had a training recently with a, you know, I said, who in the room doesn't want to be touched? And this girl raised her hand. And then I looked over and I saw her during the breath work tell him to start working on her neck. So oh, it can okay. change. It can, it can change. change too. Right. Right. It can change too, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Like, I go, didn't you say you didn't want to be touched? And she goes, yeah. I go, then you had to work on your neck. And she goes, yeah, well, you know, I like to have a conversation about it. I go, yeah, that makes right. sense. That makes right? sense. That so, makes sense. Um, you know, I just think you're, when it, you're dealing with trauma, and, and especially sexual trauma, it's better to err on the side of caution, which is not touching somebody. And you don't need to touch somebody for the breath work to do its thing. The breath work is going to do its thing, whether you touch them or not. And I think, um, you know, I've seen people who can make you into their savior because of the breath work and then turn around and you set a boundary with them and then they make you into their abuser. Right. Mm -hmm. And they like kind of, kind of turn on you. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's, a uh, I think you're better off not touching anyone when you're dealing with certain types of traumas. And, um, and I know that there's a lot of stuff going on and we're in a different environment. Now people used to do back in the sixties and the seventies, <laughs> they would do wet rebirthing sessions where yeah, both yeah, yeah. the facilitator and the person breathing are in a hot tub <laughs> yeah. and the, the facilitator's holding that person up in the hot tub like this. Yeah. And they're both naked. Okay. You know, I mean, like, like that's, that's how the old breathwork things would go down sometimes. I yeah, mean, yeah. Now we're talking about like, should you even touch somebody? Yeah. Right. Correct. 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 A lot of, a lot of changes happening in the breathwork landscape, I guess. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. With, the, with yeah. the evolution. Um, in addition to, you know, what's happening, I know there's a lot of uh, discussion about psychedelics as well. Are people getting into microdosing, magic mushrooms, ayahuasca, you know, there's yeah. the, these different plant medicines and mushroom medicines as well. Um, and of course, a lot of people say that you don't need uh, plant medicine when you do have a strong breathwork practice. What is your opinion? Do you need both? Do you uh, think it's well, about so, a setting uh, thing or what, what is that? So I, I don't, I, okay, this is tricky for me because I have a lot of experience with psychedelics in okay. high school. Okay. Right. And when I was doing drugs, like, so not from a, not from a spiritual healing standpoint, but rather yeah. than like, I'm going to drop acid with my friends and disappear in the woods for three days. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. So I, I know a lot about psychedelics, such as acid and mushrooms. And, um, I think the problem or the challenge becomes, you know, when you use these medicines, these plant medicines, the power is in the plant medicines. The, when you use the breath work, the power is within you. Mm-hmm. You're giving the power to the plant medicine to heal you. But when you use your breath, you're the one healing yourself with your breath. And the other thing that I think is a big difference is, you know, if I'm having a bad Monday afternoon or I have a fight with my wife or whatever, I can lay down and breathe and then come up and feel amazing and then go apologize to my wife and then go pick up my kids from school and go on about my day. I can't microdose or take a bunch of mushrooms or ayahuasca mm. in the middle of my afternoon. 
So it's not really for me personally, a realistic solution to my everyday life. Mm -hmm. I need something that I can use whenever I need it. I could lay down right now after this podcast and breathe for 10 minutes and then be like, all right, let's go. You know, I can't do that with, with psychedelics. Mm. I can't do that with plant medicine. So I can't, I can't access it whenever I need it, but the breath is right there with me whenever I need to access it. It's the power within myself. I can use it within myself. So I'm a way bigger proponent of breath work than psychedelics. Now I get a lot of people in my trainings who go to these uh, ceremonies and retreats and stuff like that. So I'll do a training with like usually 30 people yeah, and five or five of them in the room have just, you know, they're a psych, they've come from a psychedelic thing. And what's happened is they went there for the plant medicine and then they also did breath work and uh -huh. they were like expecting the plant medicine to be amazing, but they didn't know about this breath work thing and they were blown away by the breath. So mm. now they want to learn mm. breath work. Right, right. So I think that's a good thing. If the, if the plant medicines are leading more people to breath work, I think that's great. Mm -hmm. um, and if the plant medicines help people get sober or not be suicidal or whatever it is they need, I just think that a lot of people then, like, instead of doing the work, they just do the medicine. They do the plant medicine. Some people, very few I know, will do the plant medicine and then go do the work on themselves. But a lot of uh -huh. people don't. If the people are always looking for a shortcut, which comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like it's no shortcutting healing mm -hmm. yourself. You got to just do the work. Yeah, that's very true. That's very, very true. People don't realize sometimes that it's a tool and a lot of people are looking for avenues to escape from reality rather than use the tool to confront whatever it is that is within them so that they can you know, experience it, process it and release it. But a lot of times people want to escape it and that's when the challenge begins because they don't want to come back to reality. And the only way to do mm -hmm. that is to remain there. So yeah. it is, uh, it is interesting. Uh, uh, so John Paul, uh, what are some other techniques or modalities or hacks that you've come across in addition to breath work that for you personally have really helped you, you know, enhance the quality of your life? Does anything come to your mind? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lots of things. I mean, when I discovered breathwork, I was like, okay, what else is out there? Yeah. Right. This is yeah, the most yeah, incredible yeah. thing I've ever experienced. And I went down a rabbit hole of trying all the woo woo new agey stuff and all the weird stuff. Um, and so I tried everything and nothing has been as powerful as this circular breathwork, conscious connected breathing. But I've had some things that are really, really cool. And okay. one of them I actually discovered before breathwork. Um, and I've been doing it for 20 19 years. It was my 31st birthday that I did a float tank, a sensory deprivation oh, tank, okay. right? With the same guy that uh, created Joe Ro Rogan's tanks. Okay. Uh, I went there on my birthday and he was like, oh, it's your birthday. I don't have anyone after you. You can stay in as long as you want. Okay. And I ended up floating for four hours my first time. And <laughs> I came up and he's like, he's like, you're a different kind of human. Like nobody floats four hours their first time. And so yeah. uh, I love the float tank. And the float tank is the only thing I was talking earlier about you know, everything's hard that has great results. The float tank for me is the only thing that's not hard that has incredible results. That's like true. I just put in my earplugs and I lay down and then I, boom, I go. And there's no, there's no work involved. It's not uncomfortable. I love it. No. I love going in there and I come out physically, mentally, emotionally shifted. Yeah. And so for me, the float tank, I've had my own for the last 10 years. I've been floating for 19 years. And right. so I go in like almost daily and I love the float tank. That's a great hack, but not everybody can do that. Um, I love Ho'oponopono, which is a Hawaiian prayer for forgiveness, right? So when I have a resentment for somebody who just ripped me off, 
you know, <laughs> where somebody did somebody did something that's frustrating to me. Uh, I'll do Ho'oponopono to help clear that resentment because I don't want to walk around it with it inside of me. Mm-hmm. So I love that tool. I think that's an amazing tool. Um, I love cold showers. I have an infrared sauna. You know, I like all that stuff. I do it all. I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I think oh, nice. some form of exercise is really important. Yeah. Yeah. So the you action tribe, these are some other avenues and hacks and uh, modalities that you can explore and and think about as you take these steps towards uh, better health outcomes, but also a new outlook in, in this year, which is 2023. Sometimes I find it so funny how the last, you know, two and a half years just uh, zipped past by uh, through the pandemic. Yeah. But uh, what, does, uh, what does this year look like for you? What are you looking forward to? Um, well, I'm really loving being back in person again. So yeah. that feels really great to have that human connection in person. Yeah. Online is great. So no, I'm looking at it from a new perspective of like the benefits of what came out of COVID and the shutdown, yeah, yeah. which is now I have this online class every Sunday. I do my online class on Zoom and I have hundreds of people that come from all over the world. And actually, so I have like a couple hundred people that sign up and then like, a, like 80, 80, 90 people show up. And because people are in different time zones, so a lot of people do the replay for my class. So the benefit is like, oh my God, I got to connect with all these people from all over the world and they come to my trainings. I have trainings online and in person. So that came out of it. That's the great thing. But now I'm back in person. So I have both, which is amazing. So I do these classes in Bend, Oregon, where I live that have 315 people now, which is incredible in a small town. And then I go to LA and I do classes and I go to Portland and I do classes and the classes are huge. And I do these in-person trainings every couple months, every quarter, I do an in-person training and those have been selling out and filling up again. So I just want to keep connecting to people in person and online and growing and doing that kind of stuff. And I, I've got a focus to this year of doing more um, kind of social media and YouTube stuff. I want to share more YouTube with people and help people in that way to find me and give, give people more free stuff to help them. So mm-hmm. that's kind of my focus for this year and really just spending time with my family and loving the life that I have because I'm guilty of this too, but a lot of people will work hard. I'm very goal oriented. I've worked hard to get where I am and they'll go like, I'm on to the next goal, right? Mm-hmm. I'm on to the next thing. And like, you know what, where I am right now, is where I wanted to be so badly five years ago. And can I just stop for a moment going after the next thing? Can I just go like, oh my God, dude, you're right where you wanted to be. Let me take that in. Mm-hmm. I have these beautiful life. I have these beautiful kids and wife and family. Like, let me enjoy my family today. Let me not worry about the goal. Let me not worry about the next thing. Let me not worry about the business. Let me just enjoy this class that I'm doing today, you know? Mm-hmm. and be appreciative like that I have a hundred people on a zoom class or 300 people in person. Right. Let me yeah. just enjoy this. That is a good thought and a good sentiment and a good feeling to close this particular episode with. Uh, thank you so much, uh, John Paul, for talking to us about your story, how you got into breath work, and being vulnerable about some of the challenges that you experienced uh, earlier on. And I'm sure that our listeners were also able to relate to all these different things that you shared, the anecdotes, and also wisdom for life and leadership, which I personally appreciate as well. 
somebody who wants to learn more about you, how can they do that? Great. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I have two websites. So, so one is the main website, which is Breathe with JP, B-R-E-A-T-H-E, people forget the E, with W-I-T-H-J-P.com. And then I have another website for my online courses, which is breathworkteachertraining.com. So those are the two websites and sometimes people get confused, but the main website is Breathe with JP and that'll lead you to everything. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook and uh, TikTok and YouTube and LinkedIn. I'm on all the channels, right? So you can find me pretty much anywhere. Um, and I do my class every Sunday online. If you want to come experience my style, my method of breath work, come, the easiest way is to come check out my class on Sunday mornings. And there's a replay. And the first one, I think I give a discount of $10 off. So it's only $19 for the first class to try it out and see if you you know, if it's your, if it's for you, if I'm for you, or maybe it's not, you know, it's like, and so that's, that's how you come check me out. Awesome. We'll have all these links in the show notes. Action Tribe, thanks a lot for listening to our episode today. Make sure if you like this episode, that you share this episode with your friends, family, acquaintances, or anybody that you feel might benefit from this episode. Um, make sure that you subscribe, hit follow, hit the plus button so that you are in the know of our new episodes. Uh, visit our website, my7chakras.com for our new articles, new blog posts about all these amazing topics like breathwork, cold exposure, spirituality, yoga, all of this. And if you have any feedback, finally, aj at my7chakras.com. That's aj at my7chakras.com. So, John Paul, thank you for coming on our show, talking to us about the power of breathwork and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at My7Chakras.com. That is My S-E-V-E-N Chakras.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.